Tonight's episode of Legacy Battle is brought to you by Atlas Benefits. Atlas Benefits has solutions for your insurance needs. Atlas Benefits can help you obtain Medicare, health, or life insurance, and employee benefits. You can find them on the web at www.atlasbenefits.com. Or you can contact Rob Ducey or Roy Smith at 727-600-2892 and mention Legacy Battle Podcast. Atlas Benefits has all the solutions for your insurance needs. Enjoy the show. This is Legacy Battle. Make sure you hit subscribe on whatever you're listening on YouTube, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Safari, Apple, iTunes, you name it, we're on it. And that Facebook group, make sure you join that. I'm Michael Adams, creator of Legacy Battle. My panelists tonight from the Gridiron Battle Zone, Brian King, Penn State Collegiate All-Star, Kevin Adams, Ball State Athlete, Paul Havocott. Our special guest tonight, we're joined by a NFL defensive end who was the 13th overall pick in the 2000 draft out of South Carolina, played for the Falcons, Cardinals, and the New York Jets. Kevin representing with his Jets jersey down there. He's a two-time first-team All-Pro as well as a second-team All-Pro, a member of the 100 Sack Club with 133.5 total sacks, and that's good for 13th all-time. He's also forced 46 fumbles. <laughs> that is a lot of fumbles forced. And he's got a pick, so you got to throw that interception in there. He's a South Carolina Gamecocks Hall of Famer, five-time NFL Pro Bowler, John Abraham. John, thank you for joining us tonight. Oh, well, thank you guys for having me. Um, need a little break from the monotony. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk, talk a little green and white, huh? Let's talk a little green and white here. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. So uh, he kind of mentioned it. Tonight's debate is going to be the New York Jets' top five defensive players of all time. We'll do our usual, discuss eight, vote five is the winner, and then we'll have our Q&A for John afterwards. So we're going to start out tonight with Mo Lewis. Okay, I took Mo Lewis, born 1021-69 out of Atlanta, Georgia. Congratulations to the Braves for winning the World Series. Mo played for the Jets from 91 to 03, was a third-round pick for the Jets and played 200 games for him. He's a three-time Pro Bowler, 98-99 and 2000, 1,231 tackles, 14 interceptions for 241 yards, 29 forced fumbles, pretty good, but not as many as our boy John here, 13 fumble recoveries for 74 yards, five defensive touchdowns, and 52 and a half sacks. Mo played 200 games as a Jet, was the third longest tenure in franchise history, and was one of the most loved team members and players and captains of his time. And, you know, I was reading the stats with Mo, and he's, I think he's definitely a shoe-in for the top five, but Mo's got another fan out there, and his name is Tom Brady, because Mo basically can be kind of attributed to kick-starting what we had to endure for about two decades of a, of a Patriots dynasty. Mo was responsible for injuring old Drew Bledsoe, who left the game, causing the Patriots to turn to some unknown sixth-round pick, Tom Brady. And from there on, 
Patriots went 11 and three for the remainder of the season, resulting in the team's first Super Bowl in uh, 2002. And basically for the next two decades, all we heard of is uh, Tom Brady. Thank God he's getting old now. We don't hear too much about him anymore. <laughs> but that's that's Mo Lewis. Man, he just lost my vote for that play right there. <laughs> he's ruined football <laughs> the last 20 years. Dude, you're a hypocrite if you don't vote for him. He's been a Jet his whole career. You love that. Yeah. Touche. So, uh, <laughs> John, uh, you, you played with Mo for a little bit, right, down there in New York. Uh, what kind of teammate was he, and, and, and what do you think of him overall? Uh, Mo is, uh, first of all, he's an upstanding guy. I mean, outside of the football, just the person he was. Um, I definitely was a, he was one of my role models, um, good and bad. He, uh, I'm not in a bad way. I'm just saying that he, he did stuff so easily, like, and he worked out so much at home. He didn't bring his work to work. So a lot of times he'll be in the gym and he wouldn't work out hard. So I kind of, I molded my game after that. He, he tried to make everybody think everything was natural, but Mo was just like a cop diesel guy. I mean, he was up to 300 pounds. He dropped down to like 255, 260 to play. And he was in, I mean, he was an incredible leader on um, just, mentally and physically I mean I love the guy like personally um he's definitely in my top five just just um just saying the tenure and the years he put in with the Jets through the good and bad and even though he really was a a guy that you know really did start Tom Brady <laughs> I was I still remember that play him and Sean Ellis just came with a lick that was I don't even understand why Drew was running anyway it made no sense <laughs> at all but that hit I mean like, literally, like, you know, people say you hear a car crash. Like, it really sounded like a car crash. Like, it was. It's, it's, an, it's amazing to think that it's been 20 years since that happened and Tom is still playing like like nothing. You know, it's like, it's not like, it's like yeah, he's, he's popping Super Bowls still. I mean, come on, man. John, do you think current day Drew Bledsoe still wakes up in the middle of the night thinking about that hit, you know, 20 years ago? <laughs> Well, he did, he did get a ring, so he can't really talk trash. I mean, I don't know who, like, like one thing we did do whenever we had Drew, we would circle it. We would circle him on uh, on our schedule because we knew we were gonna get about three or four sacks. Because Drew could not move, he could not get out the pocket, and he could not like do anything else. So like, you know, he had a gun on him, but he, he used to hold that ball for us. So it was a good and a bad thing. I was just like, no, not Drew. <laughs> don't hurt him. Like, hey, you, you got you to make sure he stay in the game. And and that's crazy. But what if we wouldn't have hurt him? Like, would we have known Tom Brady as Tom Brady? That's a crazy thing, right? Yeah, it is crazy to think about. It's history changed with one hit. So, yeah. all right, let's uh, let's move on. I'm going to go next. We're going to go Daryl Revis going out to Revis Island here. Loneliest place on the football field, Revis Island. So, drafted by the Jets, uh, the University of Pittsburgh, right there. So, that makes me like him <laughs> just because of that. So, played with the Jets from 2007 to 2012, and then also had another stint, 2015-2016. Um, so, he is third all-time in interceptions uh, by a Jet with 25. He also recovered 10 fumbles and has a sack. So that doesn't sound like a high interception number, but I'm, I'm going to tell you why uh, here in a second. So what he does lead the Jets on is passes defended, and, and there's nobody even close in that. He's got 112 passes defended. I think, if, if I'm recalling correctly, that was at least 40 or 50 that he had the lead by. But this guy was so good 
they wouldn't throw in his direction. Like quarterbacks were literally scared to throw in his direction. And imagine how many more interceptions he would have had if, if some of them would have had the gall. Even even Tom Brady, you know, was quoted as as saying that, you know, Revis is Revis Island for a reason. So, you know, it's if Brady's saying it, you know it's true. Um so he, he could throw in four tackles for a loss too. You know, corners don't get that too often, so that was pretty good. Um, he's a pro bowler four years with the Jets. Obviously, he has a few more with some other teams. First team all pro from 09 to 2011, all those years. And he's the 2010 NFL All-Decade team. Um, you know, some of those years were spent with the Jets. So I believe in the 2000, mid to late 2015s, he was the best cornerback in football. And uh, certainly during his Jets tenure, he was by far the best in the league. So, John, your thoughts on Revis? I know he came after you were gone, but uh, Revis Allen, was it a real thing? Was it something that, that quarterbacks thought about? Uh, Revis definitely left his mark on the Jets. Um, I think he left his mark on football. Yeah, but uh, no, nah, Revis, Revis definitely um, – bought the Jets a new type player that they never had. I mean, you know, I was there with Aaron Glenn. I was there with, you know, Marcus Coleman back in the day. And Aaron Glenn was a great cornerback. But getting Revis, um, not saying out of nowhere, but, you know, I, I didn't really hear a lot about Revis, but they did their work on that guy, getting Revis. And Revis definitely gave the defense a whole new look. Um, people would start paying attention to the Jets, and they were looking at the Jets and wondering, like, what's going on with the Jets? They were watching the Jets' defense, which they haven't done in – probably years. I mean, I mean, since I was there, like, you know, we, we had a little following because we had Herm Edwards and everybody was really on the defensive side of looking for the defense, but um, he really transcended the, the Jets period as a team. I mean, I mean, think about it. every time you see a commercial with Revis on it, um, pretty much everybody knew Revis. They might not know anybody else on the Jets, but they knew Revis. So Revis definitely left his mark. Anywhere he goes uh, in New York, he's known. Anywhere he goes in the NFL, he's known. Because he, he he left that kind of mark, definitely where he was. So I, 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 you got to place him high. you got to place him high. He was uh, really just a phenomenal player, generational talent. The only other player from the Jets defense that I – really remember from that time period maybe Byron Scott he was there for a while wasn't he if I'm thinking right Bart, Bart Scott Bart Scott Bart Scott yeah there you go Bart Scott so yeah see I didn't even get the first name right <laughs> anywho let's move on to our next player let's go Jamal Adams I know Jamal Adams is a long shot here um only you know had three four seasons three seasons um with the Jets uh strong safety He's actually currently playing for Seattle. He was drafted sixth overall in the 2017 NFL Draft by the Jets, but he was quickly an impact to the team. Uh, he was a starter for the Jets immediately. Uh, he made the Pro Bowl twice, uh, named All-Pro. Uh, he had a short time with the Jets, as I'd mentioned, from 17 to 2019 uh, before going to Seattle. Uh, in 2021, this is how good, how good he is. The Seahawks extended his contract to $72 million with $20 million signing bonus, $38 million guaranteed, making him the highest paid safety in NFL. So the Jets definitely gave up a big piece of the puzzle um, when they traded him off to Seattle. While he was with the Jets, let's face it, didn't have a good team. Uh, it's unfortunate because I think he would have gotten more attention and probably more accolades if they were competitive. 
Uh, he might still be there too. Um, but he made the first team all pro in 2019, 2018, second team all pro, uh, pro bowl in 18 and 19. Like I mentioned, he got the PFWA all, all rookie team in 2017. Uh, this man is fast. He ran the 40 in 4.33 seconds. Um, as a rookie, uh, he was signed to a fully guaranteed four-year deal worth $22.25 million with a four, over $14 million signing bonus. That shows you how good this, this guy is. In his second season, he was named captain of the Jets roster for 2018. In 2019, he was ranked 37th among his fellow players on the NFL Top 100 uh, list for 2019 before the season started. He finished his Jets tenure, although it was short, uh, he had 273 combined tackles, 210 solo tackles, 12 sacks, two interceptions, one touchdown, six forced fumbles, four fumble recoveries in just three seasons with the Jets. Now, when Seattle traded for, for Jamal Adams, they gave up a 2021 first-round pick, a 2021 third-round pick, a 2022 first-round pick, and a safety just for Adams and a fourth-round pick. This man's valuable, yet his tenure, as I said, was short with the Jets. Uh, he's definitely uh, uh, an honorable mention if we don't, if he doesn't make the list. And he did get awarded the uh, Martin Award in 2018 and 2019, which is given to the most valuable Jets player named after Curtis Martin. We won't know how valuable he really was to the Jets until all those draft picks come in. So <laughs> you never know what they're going to get off of that. John, when, when they brought Jamal in, he was supposed to be part of the defensive rebuild, and then he's gone three years later. I mean, what, what, what makes a team just up and trade a key piece like that? Any idea? Um, that's been uh, the Jets' uh, M.O. for the last few years. I mean, we got to be honest. Like, whenever it seems like we have a great defensive player, we tend to seem to let him slip through the cracks. And uh, – I love I love what Jamal did. I love his presence on the field, but I don't think three years was enough to put him in the top five. Um, uh, the most value I show that you showed me that he did for the Jets was his value monetarily, but uh, you know on the field, you know it, it didn't uh, occur as wins uh, per se. I mean, he was a great player. He still is a great player, but I think that um, when we talk about greats. If you're talking about a great player, we were talking about players and all, but we're talking about the Jets right now. So I, I can give him a lot of money. He, like, he made over like – he's going to make like $100 million, something like that. So that's good for him. But uh, I don't think he made that $100 million with the Jets, though. <laughs> so we can't – we can't we, – I mean, I love I love the guy as a player. I, I would have loved to play with him, but we, we, we sticking straight to Jet stuff. And, um, now, he was a great guy. Now, you, now if you say the, um, the decade team maybe come up, yeah, he might can make it as a safety maybe in his three years because he did do a hell of a job when he was there. But I don't think, uh, you know, the top five, I can't I can't see that right now. Money like that going on the defense now, does that make you want to come back? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> not at all, not at all. Fair enough. All right, let's move on to Joe Klecko. All right, Joe Klecko, defensive end, defensive tackle, nose tackle for the Jets from 1977 to 1987. Uh, the New York Times once described Joe as ox strong and cat quick. Uh, six foot three, 272 pounds. Uh, he was just a big load to try and block. Um, if you don't believe me, we can ask some, some uh, uh, football legends. We have Anthony Munoz once said, Joe is the strongest guy I ever faced. Uh, he had a perfect technique. Hands in tight, great leverage. 
he was such a smart and intense player. And then Pro Football Hall of Famer uh, uh, Joe Lemure, he once said Joe Klecko was equal to Mean Joe Green and Merlin Olson in terms of difficulty to block. So not only was uh, Joe able to beat blocks, but he was able to finish the job as well. Uh, he is now credited with 78 quarterback sacks during his career, um, with a career high of 20 and a half during the 1981 season. Uh, that was the most sacks in the NFL that year. Uh, 1981 was also significant for Joe because he won four different Defensive Player of the Year awards that season. Uh, the NEA, the KCC, UPI, and the PFWA. Um, and more importantly, he led the Jets to their first postseason game since Super Bowl III. Uh, Joe also collected four Pro Bowl trips and was named to uh, two All-Pro first teams during his career. Um, he really showed his versatility by being named a Pro Bowler as a 4-3 DE, uh, then a 4-3 defensive tackle, and then a 3-4 nose tackle. So only Joe Klecko and Ronnie Lott have ever made the Pro Bowl with not one, not two, but three different positions on the field. And let's not forget that, you know, Joe was able to successfully block Sheriff Buford T. Justice with his tractor trailer and smoking the bandit, too. So Joe Klecko, he was a nightmare to block on the D-line. I think he should be a Hall of Famer, and I think he's definitely a top-five player on this list tonight. John, you mentioned that versatility. I mean, that's something we don't see very often today from players. Uh, you know, how hard is it to play a different position at that level? Um, it's tough, especially at D-line. Um, I think that's what sticks out to me, and maybe because I'm a D-lineman. Um, I really don't think uh, Joe gets enough credit. I mean, I love the guys on the list, but he definitely sticks out like number one in my rank uh, simply because what he did. And and I, and why he's not a Hall of Famer, I'm, I'm just, you know, shocked and appalled by it. I don't know if it's because of the Jets and they just really thin with giving Jets Hall of Fame uh, recognition or – or, you know, maybe it's just because of the, the, the accolades or maybe he was just wasn't, uh, I don't know, maybe, he wasn't, maybe he, he wasn't good with the media or something. But, you know, the media really vote for who's Pro Bowl and who's uh, Hall of Fame, who does certain things. But I'm like, I give that guy his credit. I mean, he's definitely a Hall of Famer. And, and you say it was three positions. I thought it was four. I, I heard he made, you know, you, you know, you hear the stories in, uh, from the guys. They be like, oh, he made it in every position. Now, I'm talking about from left all the way down to right. So, you know, I'm thinking that, you know, and, and, and I'm, it's amazing because uh, their whole, I mean, with Marty Lyons, you know, with Gastineau, they had a, they had a D line that was unmatched. So that's definitely something that we got to look at for, one, two, or easy, easy one, two, like that for me. I think he deserves in the Hall of Fame. I mean, they put Joe Namath in, so, you know, Klecko should be in there, in my oh, opinion. But <laughs> All right, let's move on to Mark Gastineau. Yeah, I love this. This was an interesting research here, a little bit of nostalgia. Born 11, 20, 56 out of Ardmore, Oklahoma. Played his entire career once again with the Jets. I love that. 1979 to 1988, I love the people that play with one team. I know that view is a little bit antiquated now, but I just really can appreciate that. I can't believe John started to touch on it, but I can't believe you didn't talk about this, Brian. 
He was part of one of the greatest nicknames. I think it's up there with Legion of Doom and Steel Curtain. Sneaky good. He was part of the New York Stock Exchange defensive line that included Joe Klecko, Marty Lyons, and I hope I pronounce this right, Abdul Salem. The four combined for 66 sacks in 1981, including 20 by Mark. Uh, That year, the Jets made the playoffs for the first time since 69. I think you mentioned that. Kind of a lot of firsts around Mark. He was drafted in the second round by New York out of East Central University in Oklahoma. At that time, it was their first draft pick ever, and he was noticed by a lady named Connie Carberg, who at the time was the NFL's uh, first ever female scout. Kind of interesting. He's got good stats, 137 games, nine fumble recoveries, two resulting in touchdowns, 74 official sacks, 107 and a half unofficially. As a side note, sacks weren't uh, made official stat until 1982. First team All-Pro in 82, 83, and 84. Five-time Pro Bowler, five years straight from 81 to 85. Two-time NFL sack leader, 83 and 84. Mark ranked eighth uh, as eighth greatest pass rushers in NFL history on the NFL Network's top 10 pass rushers. Of course, he's in the New York uh, Jets' ring of honor. Uh, he retired abruptly in 88 for family reasons while leading the NFL in sacks through seven weeks. As I was researching him, I couldn't help but wonder and let my mind wander what his career would have been like in the current day. He was afflicted with some off-field stuff, and I think that's going to come up here. And I'm not making light of it. Some of these things were pretty egregious. But one thing that sticks out is 1984, Gaspineau was found guilty of assaulting a patron at Studio 54. How nostalgic is that? Uh, he ended up getting some community service, and he taught football to inmates at Rikers Island. I mean, that's straight out of the movies. In 91, he actually started a, a boxing career and went about four or five years, to my recollection. Uh, I think his first knockout was Derek Dukes, who was a former professional wrestler. But then I think later on, Derek admitted he took a dive or something like that. But uh it was like he was told to take a dive to make Mark look good. But Mark's a character, all with one team. I think he's like a player that he was kind of a troublemaker back then. I, I don't know. I don't know him personally. But nowadays, thinking of the trouble he could get into, who knows? But that's Mark Gastineau. So it's so rare today for a player to play his whole career with one team. I'm sure that meant quite a lot uh, to him. But, John, you know, what are your thoughts on him and just – that entire D-line back there in the early 80s, I mean, they're they're, they're famous. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, first of all, I got to say I have the utmost respect for, um, you know, Mark Gassino. Um As a person, as a friend, I mean, when I first met the guy, he was just so loving. And, and, you know, you hear about all the stories about a person and you hear about, like, how terrible they were back in the day and yada, yada, yada. I remember um, they wouldn't even let him up. Uh, come to the practice field he, but he would stand outside the gate and just still watch us play you know he always used to um, give me a big hug and a kiss and be like oh John you know I love you man you know he's a he's a great guy um as a player I think he definitely um put numbers up that are worthy I only have one one thing that really bothers me um the steroid the steroid thing um it kind of bothers me because you know I felt like he was a good player but I don't know how good he would have been and, he, and I mean, he even told me he was on, you know, it's kind of messed him up. So it kind of messes me up um, looking back, you know, even though a lot of guys back in the day did it. So you can't really knock them for, you know, getting that, um, get, getting that advantage. But, you know, for me, it kind of takes a little away from what he did. Um, not saying anyone else didn't do it either. But, you know, for me, it kind of 
in Knoxville. I, I, I still think he's top five, but, you know, that kind of takes a, just takes a little bit from, like, you know, like what I, what I really loved about his game. Mike, real quick, and John touches on it, and it's all. I, I really want to say this just because I mentioned some of the off-field stuff, but Mark turned his life around, and I think John kind of touched on him being a good – it really warrants mentioning in 2007 he got remarried and he's part of a church. I think he's in, in their choir. But Mark got it straightened out, it looks like, from what I can tell. So he ended up finding the path. But, uh, yeah, he might have been afflicted early on, but he seems to have turned it around. Let me say one thing real quick. Um... Yeah, you know, I don't know if you guys know, Mark Gaston is kind of, he's going through um, uh, cancer right now. Yes. Um, so, you yeah. know, prayers out to him, you know, yeah. you know, listen, Mark, we're praying for you, man. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Love that guy. Well, let's move back to the secondary. We're going to go Eric McMillan. I like the secondary, so that's why I swiped all the secondary guys <laughs> tonight. So, true fact here, in 1988, the, when I opened my first pack of football cards, Eric McMillan was the first card that, that came out wearing that green Jets jersey. It's beautiful. So number 22, University of Missouri, third round pick by the Jets, played from 88 to 92, made two Pro Bowls and an All-Pro while he was, during his tenure with the Jets. Um, in 1988, he's named the NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year, and he led the AFC in interceptions with eight, and that was as a rookie, so that's impressive. And he's the first Jets player in history to make the Pro Bowl his first two seasons in the league. So a nice little stat there for him. Um, you know, he went on to coach with the Jets. I think it was 2016. He was like a training camp coach, you know, one of those guys they just bring in for the camps or whatever. Um, he was loved by Jets fans. Uh, he gave them some hope in some – Let's just say some some down years there in the, in the the late '80s. Uh, you know when Marino was kind of dominating the the divisions there for a while. You know McMillan was back there trying to keep Marino in check. Not an easy thing to do during that time period. Um, so, you know, like I say, he's loved by Jets fans. He played some years. You know where the Jets they just they needed a star on defense, and 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 he he was a star there for for four seasons before he moved on. Um, I. He's not a long shot to make the top five. He he could be there. I find him like kind of right on the cusp, but we'll see how that vote turns out tonight. John, your, your thoughts on McMillan? Um, I think he started off great, but he had eight picks his first year, and six, five, and three or something like that. Um, yeah. So he had some great numbers, but my thing is when you got Revis – you know, it's, it's kind of tough to um, put those names together and um, try to keep them in the same way. Um, we have now nah, he, he had a great career with us, you know, but um, ah, this is this is a tough one because you know he started off so good. You know, it, it's kind of tough to say well, this guy don't deserve to be in the top five. Um, with me, he's I don't know, he's he's maybe six because um, I'm looking at. I'm looking at Mo, and I love Mo, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of partial to Mo. And you gave me Revis, you know, you gave me Klecko, you gave me Gastineau, you know, I'm like, bro, you, you, you know, so not saying, I'm not trying to knock him at all. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to wage it, you know, and I didn't really get to see him play a lot either. So, you know, but I'm looking at his stats and like, he is definitely one of the guys that put up some numbers that definitely kept people coming to see Jets. Yeah. One, one funny thing about uh, McMillan I'll throw out there was 
Um, there was one time there was something was going on in the press with him and the with him and Don Shula, and he actually picked off uh, Dan Marino. And as he was returning the interception, he flipped the bird to uh, to Don Shula as he was going by. So that was pretty funny. He had that's a little bit of an attitude on him. That's, Man, that, that, that's top five worthy right there. So, <laughs> all right, let's move on to Mark Grantham. Mark Grantham, you mean uh, Larry Grantham? Oh yeah, sorry, Larry. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> you know, we ain't getting to the top five now. <laughs> uh, after I tell you Typo. what he's done, Typo. he better be in the top five. So, uh, <laughs> played for the uh, New York Titans Jets from 1960 to 1972. He's an Ole Miss Hall of Famer uh, linebacker. He came to the AFL uh, Titans uh, in 1960 draft, and he helped form uh, basically the backbone of the Jets defense that reached the playoffs in 68-69. And they won the 1968 AFL Championship and the World Championship over the NFL's Baltimore Colts for Super Bowl three. That year, the Colts uh, had won 15 of 16 of their games, uh, and they were 18-point favorites to win that Super Bowl. Um, and, the, you know, the Jets-Titans came on, on top. He was a starter his whole time with the uh, Titans-Jets. He helped uh, bring them from the worst team in the, NFL, or in the AFL to World Champions in just nine years. Um, he was smart, tough. He was all over the field. He knew what every player on the defense was supposed to do on each play. He could blanket the field. He could rush the quarterback. He could drop into coverage. He could neutralize the sweep. He could stack the short yardage run. This man could do it all. He is one of the Jets' leading tacklers. He was named to the AFL All-Star team five times and played in eight league All-Star games. He was selected five times to the all-time All-AFL second team and five times to the first team. He was one of only 20 players to have competed in the AFL for his for the entire 10-year existence of that league, and only one of seven AFL players to have played their entire careers in one city. Grantham was also named the 1971 New York Jets MVP. Uh, the Professional Football Researcher Association named Grantham the PRFA Hall of Very Good class of 2014. <laughs> he is in the Jets' oh, ring man. of honor. He was the Jets' defensive captain. He had 43 career takeaways, still a franchise record, 24 interceptions as a linebacker. That's, uh, I think it was one more than Rivas, right? Uh, ranking fourth in, in the franchise. Uh, it said that he had 31 sacks, but had, as Paul had mentioned earlier, he didn't record sacks in this time period. Uh, but that would put him 11th in the franchise. He only missed seven games in his whole career. Jerry Philbin, a great defensive Jets player, said that Grantham was the best player on the Jets at that time when he played with them. And that's when Unitas was on the team. Um, EliteSportsNY.com listed Grantham the third best Jets defensive player of all time and the greatest linebacker in team history. Grantham deserves to be in this top five tonight. So, John, you, you heard the numbers well before your time, obviously, before all our times. But the guy's got a ring. Uh, nobody else on this list uh, can say that with the Jets tonight. Um. Definitely uh, just hearing all his stats, and um, I wish I would have got to see more of his tape, you know, because um, that really has a lot to do with it. It was in the past, and I think our past uh, is what built us, and I definitely think that he should be in the top five. Um, just from just from the longevity and, and, the, and the Pro Bowls and the accolades that he's got, he's in the ring of honor. You know, he, he's the MVP of the team. He's done it all. I mean – 
the guy was pretty much he could have he should have been uh, the owner by now, but I know he passed away recently. But I'm like he he got everything that's needed. I mean, if it was if it was the time of social media back then, he'd have been kind of like Ray Lewis, right? <laughs> I mean, the turnovers and the sacks. I mean, that's 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 impeccable. So I, I, I'm 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 pushing him up high. I like I like I like his um I like what he did for the Jets, and I'm sure that uh, if people would have pay more attention to him, they would have seen it too. And and actually I wanted to make a correction though. Not not United, it was Namath. When Namath yeah. was on the team. Right. The best player on the Jets on the Jets team. Sounds like some points deduction. Make a note of it, Mike. <laughs> Whatever, dude. <laughs> Brian, let me let me ask you real quick. You're you're our football guru, of course, here. Um any chance and, and maybe just this is an opinion for you, the the veterans committee puts him in the Hall of Fame. I mean, his numbers, they look Hall of Fame to me. Yeah, but well, that, with the seniors committee, they have really a, a tough job because there's a lot of guys that are, you know, like Kevin said, Hall of very good. These guys are right on the cusp. I mean, we mentioned Joe Klecko. We mentioned, you know, there's other guys, uh, uh, Ken Rowley. And, and the senior committee only puts in, um, I believe it's only a max of two guys per, you know, per class. Um, usually it's only one guy. So, it, you know, this major backlog of guys who are, you know, who played 35, 40 years and, 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 and more ago, um, you know, it's just so difficult to get all those guys in. Um, it's just going to take a long time. Yeah. Well, let's move on to our final player tonight. Uh, some guy named John Abraham. I don't, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> right. We got John Abraham, defensive end, spent, his first six seasons with the Jets, 2000 to 2005, uh, six foot four, 263 pounds, played on the right side of the defense, uh, made his presence felt, uh, four, uh, uh, what is he, 4.55 second 40 time. So very quick off that edge. Statistically, one thing that really stands out uh, when I look at Abraham, he had a league leading six forced fumbles in 2001. He again had six in 2005. Also, the QB sacks, uh, 53 and a half sacks in a six-year span with a high mark of 13 in 2001. So per 16 games, that works out to 12 sacks per year. So that's very, very good. Uh, John also made three trips to the Pro Bowl as a member of the Jets and made one first team uh, All-Pro. And really the only thing that stopped John from being a Pro Bowl player each year with the Jets was injury. In 2000, his rookie year, he had four and a half QB sacks and two forced fumbles and 12 tackles before being lost for the year. And in uh, 2003, um, he had six sacks in seven games before going down with injury. So he was off to great starts in both of those years. Um, in 2001, he tied a Jets franchise record with uh, Gastineau and Klecko when he had four QB sacks in a single game. Um, in the 2002-2003 playoffs, he was able to record a sack in both of the Jets games. Um, and his, uh, his former Jets teammate, Chad Pennington, the quarterback, once said this about John Abraham. He is that quintessential edge pass rusher who can change the game at, at the drop of a hat. He can really come through with a strip sack or some type of turnover play. He was just a big play type of guy. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a big play type of guy coming off the edge fast, making things happen, 
creating havoc in the backfield. So that's John Abraham. So John, we're going to hear a lot about your career during our Q and A section, but just for the, for this, I mean, you were drafted by the Jets. What did it mean to be part of their organization? And was there a chance during that draft that maybe you were going to go to another team? Somebody else was trying to take you. Um, yeah, I thought I was going to San Francisco because, uh, uh, but they ended up dropping down and, and they ended up getting Julian Peterson. So you know, almost, it was almost t- almost like the same guy because I was um you know in the three four defense and playing outside and I was a pretty good pass rusher. I think the only thing that uh, will stop me from being in this top five for me personally, just the years played there, um, and like you said, uh, a lot of the games uh, were injured. Uh, dealt with a dealt with a bad groin injury that I, I actually got hurt again. And I'm still dealing with it to this day, so that's how bad the injury was. So I had to deal with that my whole career. So that's the only thing I would say that, that will stop me from being in the top five, just because of you know the years played. Like I only played six years, and 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 really I felt like if you know, I was there longer, like me and Sean would probably have been a, a better duo. You know, I think, um, like I said, like the Jets have a, a good thing on like letting good players go, like right when they're at their prime and kind of, you know, you know, not riding out with them, um, like Jonathan Velma, uh, what, James Ferrier, you know, like it's, it's just a lot of guys that we would have stuck with those guys. I think if all those was on one team, it would have been, been something awesome. And, you know, even uh, I guess Al Gro left, it, it kind of, it, it ruined a lot of people's careers, and people don't understand that because um, a lot of people, our defense pretty much had to change. But most of my guys that left went to New England, and got a ring, <laughs> you know, like like Posse. Posse went to Pittsburgh. Um, Ferrier went to uh, New England. Brian uh, Cox went to New England. You know, so everybody kind of moved around and got got what they had to do. You know. Well, let's move into our vote tonight. Can't pick your own guys. Paul, you can start us off. Just picking one, right? Correct. So, out of my three here, you know, I'll go with um, Larry, otherwise known as Mark Grantham. I like that Super Bowl ring. I like that stats. I like Kevin, so I think it was a good argument. (laughs) Go ahead, Kevin. Um... I'm going to have to go with uh, Joe Klecko. Okay. Ryan? Well, I mean, we can't let uh, we can't let this uh, thing go off of the Revis Island, so I got to go Revis. I mean, dude, just shut down corner in every sense of the word. So, uh, gosh, I- I'm taking John Abraham because I believe I believe you belong on this list. I know you're being humble and all that. You know, that's cool, but – you belong on this top five list tonight, so I'm, I'm picking you. So you got the last pick. That leaves you Mark Gastineau, Eric McMillan, Mo Lewis, and Jamal Adams. Uh, let me get Mo. Um, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm kind of partial to Mo because I play with Mo. And, like, he has that tenure. He has that tenor. You know, he, he was there for years, and he uh, played great football when I was there. So that makes our top five New York Jets defensive players tonight of all time. Revis Island, Daryl Revis, John Abraham, Mo Lewis, Larry Grantham, and Joe Klecko. Nice job, boys. Let's move into our Q&A. Brian, you got two on the list, so you get first question. All right, all right. Um, John, you, you played on the right side as a defensive end for your first nine years in the league. Then you switched to the left side for a couple years uh, with Atlanta. Uh, then you were listed as a right 
um, outside linebacker at, at Arizona. So were these transitions of, in positions difficult for you at first? And what was the reasoning behind each change? Um, <clears throat> mostly, I, won, I got drafted as an outside linebacker. So my whole career to me was kind of tainted playing defensive end so much. Uh, I've always felt like I was an outside linebacker um, and I got the opportunity in college to move to outside linebacker and that way I was drafted. And I, like you said, my rookie year, I was off to a great start, four and a half sacks for six games. And then Herm Edwards came and put me back at end and it just changed my career. Like, you know, and I, I mean, I still had a, a great career, but I think I was an outside linebacker and uh, just playing the end most of the time. I, I think there was a lot of things that I could have done and I think that showed because when I went to Arizona, I made the Pro Bowl my last full year playing um, at outside linebacker. And, I, and you know, I, I, I tend to think, like, what if I would have stayed in the 3-4? You know, like, kind of had that just one-on-one -on -one with tight ends, you know, no double teams and a lot of things like that. Like, where my numbers would have been or if my body would have held up better, you know, um, at linebacker than it would have at end that whole time. So, for me, it's kind of – it's kind of a shaky situation and, you know, you thought like, hey, but you want to play and you want to play at a position that, you know, you know, I guess you get paid well at, and that's the end. But, you know, I, I think, I think if I were to play outside linebacker, I would have been, you know, pretty good guy too, you know. So I want to take you back to 1999, South Carolina. Lou Holtz comes in as the coach. I mean, expectations were high. It was a, it was a rough season in 1999 record wise, of course, but, you know, what was it like to to have just a, a legend as your coach, and 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 what was the expectations when he came in? What was going around campus? What were people thinking? Uh, my expectations weren't really high. Um, I was just expecting to play football. Um, I was just so used to playing football um, and being, you know, on a team. I didn't really care. Like, and I and I knew about Lou Holtz, but I was just kind of like, we just got to, you know, we just got to play football. You know what I'm saying? Because Actually, in college, you know, when you find you got to go to, you might have a chance to go to the NFL. Your whole focus is staying healthy, playing ball, staying healthy, playing ball. And then, you know, like the week before the season start, Lou, first of all, Lou is the, he is the littlest guy you'll see in life, but he has the, like, the most energy. He can, he, like, you, you hear about the coaches that can make somebody run through a wall, that's Lou Hokes. But um, he, uh, he came in, and I think a week before the season start, he was like, John, do you want to move to linebacker? I'm like, yes. I'm like, I was waiting for you to ask me because, you know, and uh, it, it actually changed my career. And I think it uh, it helped me get in the first round. I'm um, showing my own, I guess what you call it, the, the flexibility I had of doing any kind of role. And I think it really helped. But Lou was, um, Lou was the guy that definitely changed my life because he told, uh, you know, a lot, a, lot of, a lot of NFL scouts were, you know, kind of like, is this guy good? You know, is he going to be that? Da, da, da. He gets hurt. He gets nicked up. Lou told him uh, I was one of the best defensive players he ever had. And, you know, coming out of Lou Holt's mouth, that is a big thing. Definitely. Paul. John, I'm one short bridge south of Tampa, and we hear and see a lot of Bruce Arians. And I think in your life you've had a, a kind of a relationship with Bruce, and I think you talked to him extensively about when you were considering retirement. Is there anything you'd want to share from that conversation, any takeaways that stuck with you to help you make your decision? Um, I was actually going to retire <clears throat> before that first game, but you know, Bruce, I guess Bruce knows I'm a football player <laughs> and he knew I needed to be out there if I wanted to like literally be happy. 
So he he uh, he, t he told me he was like John, just just play, just practice, just play, just see if you see if it's really still there. Because you know he 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 admitted to me that I had more in the tank. You know what I mean? And he saw he saw that my personal life was getting in the way of my football life, and he he just showed me that I need to get back into football. And um, he actually ended up helping me because um, when I got injured that game, I found out I was bleeding on both sides of my brain. So I wouldn't have knew that. You know, I was wondering why I couldn't remember stuff. I was wondering why I was doing weird things. And, you know, you don't know that you have, like, mental issues. You just think something's wrong. I, you know, I couldn't sleep right. I couldn't couldn't really hold a conversation with people. I still knew football, but I knew, like, I was, uh, was kind of walking around with cloudy eyes all the time. I couldn't really see good. And, you know, I, I lost I – lost, I used to lose my cell phone. I used to lose my, like, credit cards and all that stuff. So it ended up being a, a blessing more than a curse. You know, even though I didn't get to finish that season off because I was looking to, you know, have a good year, um, get double-digit sacks, being the top five of sacks. But I ended up being, like, number nine when I left. And uh, but he just he just really encouraged me to be um, to finish the season out. And, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of things that you think about and you wish you still could do. Like, because like if you see my numbers, I was I had like 192 games, 133 sacks, but uh, I missed like over 40 some games. That's three years of football. So you like I only really played 12 years of football, and that just with injuries. And you know, hopefully uh, people can look at that instead of you know the 15 years. Kevin, so I want to take you uh, back to high school. Looks like you were quite the track athlete. And you only played one one year of high school football, and you got recruited still to a, a D1 big university. How, how did you get into switching from track to football and getting recruited after just one season? Um, you know, everybody played football when you was younger. And um, I guess my blessing was my, – I guess my curse was also my blessing. Being from a small town, I was big. You know, for a small-town guy, I was big. So I was big and I was fast. That's all you really needed back in the day to play football. And also, you know, my mom, I, I broke my ankle when I was in eighth grade. My mom didn't want me to play football no more. My senior year, I was going and I was like, okay. I looked at my I looked at my um, my girlfriend accolades and I saw what she had in the yearbook and I saw what I had. I was like, okay, I got to pad my stats. Let me go play football. Let me get it some more. And, you know, I ended up being uh, pretty good at it. You know, uh, at first it was kind of tough you know, learning because they were talking so much. He was telling me, do this, you got to do this, you got to do this. You know, I only had like two routes in high school. That was a go route and that was just like a slant. That was it. You know what I mean? And then on defense, he just told me, see ball, get ball. And that was it. It was a wrap after that. You know, I used my track and I used, I, I just try to outrun people. I didn't really try to hit people unless I, unless I had to. You know, I, I was a kicker too. So I, I did my job. Paul, go ahead. Well, I was thinking about this the other day when Mike Evans gave Tom Brady 600 uh, touchdown ball to a fan accidentally. And I was thinking about you. And one thing that sticks out to me about your career is you had one interception. Did you keep that ball? And, and did you think at the time you were never going to get another one? I mean, that's crazy. You got one interception. That must have been special. Well, you know what? It was special because of the timing, because it was against Drew Brees. Um like I said, it, it's so funny. I, I hear about so many um, DB linemen getting so many interceptions. Like, I think Pep got like 15 or 16. He got some kind of crazy number. I know he got more than Jamal Adams got. But I'm like, you know, it's it's tough because, you know, I got mine off a tip pass. And, 
for me, it was it was so special because it was like a Thursday night game, and it was, and and we were talking about it the week before, and I ended up getting it. And like I said, it was against Drew, so it's definitely something that um. I'm happy about, and I'm glad I got. You know, it was it was a weird pick, but it it, it, it it's one that's gonna go down in history for me. You Ryan? got the ball. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gave I gave it to my sister actually. I'm okay. not too good. I, I figured you did. My memory is terrible, so uh, I give all my awards and everything. I give them to my mom, either my sister, because they'll keep them. I've lost so many stuff, so I, I just give them everything yeah. now. That's sweet. I like that. Yeah, definitely. Brian Gunn. So, uh, uh, John, you, you played, like you said, 15 seasons with three different NFL teams. So I'm sure you faced hundreds of different tackles and guards. Uh, which ones stood out to you as the most difficult to face? Uh, tackles and guards. Um, I would literally have to say the 2000s to the 2003 because they were – they were dirty as hell. I mean, just all those. Like, those guys, they used to double, triple. That's when they used to they, – they were able to cut you while you were engaged with blockers and everything. They were the worst. Like, they were the worst. They were just so dirty, man. I remember Frank Milton. He was just so dirty. I mean, this guy used to go just straight for your knees every time. So, it was just – it was like no holes bar back in the day. Like, the tackles now are, you know, pretty cut and dry. You know, you see a tackle – beat attack you get a sack I think my my sacks were a lot easier at the end of my career than the beginning the beginning it was so tough because you know we had people chipping us and everything like, I, like I'm watching these people now I'm looking like dude they don't even really get doubled and chipped that much no more because they used to be they used to be active and they used to be like hurtful I, if I can if I could bring up some tape from the past of just the dirty plays that they did it was it was it was incredible that, that like nobody got like suspended for the stuff they did Kevin. So all, all four of us panelists are from Pittsburgh. <laughs> and uh, three years in a row, your last three years with the Jets, you play the Steelers in the playoffs. <laughs> and uh, two, two of the three Steelers take. Uh, the one, the last one, you guys, uh, 2005, you guys lost by a field goal. What, what, was it, uh, what was that like playing the Steelers three years in a row and I mean, I'm sure there is a bunch of trash talking on the field because we played you guys three years in a row. How, how was that? Um, it was cool. You know, the last year I didn't play because um, I was hurt. I got I had an LCL, and it's crazy because I, I still get hawked uh, by Jets fans saying that I quit on the team. I'm looking like I had an LCL and I didn't play in that game, and they were like giving it to me. Like, and, you know, I lost a lot of love at first for the Jets for that because I felt like, you know, Herm Edwards or somebody should have said, like, the guy literally has a knee injury because they told me, like, before the game, it was kind of like, well, John, you know, we're going to stay playing even though you're not playing. So, you know, we can they're going to prepare for you, but you're not playing. So, you know, I'm like, cool. So, you know, I'm thinking in my head that, you know, people going to know, like, I ain't playing. But, you know, it ended up, it ended up like, backfiring in my face over that. But, uh I used to love playing Pittsburgh. Ben was one of those guys that, you know, you love to play against because, you know, he ain't going nowhere. So it, it always was good playing him. But that game would always stick in my mind because, you know, I tried to take the blunt for the team and they ended up backfiring at me. Isn't, isn't that the one where the uh, the kicker missed, like? Three. Three field goals? Is that what it was? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, remember, I remember I was like, Cussing him out, and he sat beside me. I didn't know he was beside me. That's all there. I remember. <laughs> then I was kind of like, "Oh no, 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 my bad, bro. You good? You good? You good?" 
I'm that, like, that was Doug, Doug Bryan, right? Doug right? Bryan, right? right? I think it's the same. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Bryan. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I was like, yeah, he's not going to have a job after this. I was like, that is because I, I was ready to play the next week, though, with it. Because I, I still remember because Deuce Daly was on that team and me and Deuce uh, went to college together. That was one of those games that really changed my career. Well, we'll get you out of here with this. Um, you know, I just wanted to get you kind of your thoughts and opinions on it. You know, you, you, you can't hit a quarterback nowadays without, like, a flag being thrown. Um, in your opinion, like, has the NFL gone, like, too soft? And are some players maybe afraid to make a play because they feel – uh, if I hit this guy the wrong way, a flag's going to get thrown. Are they, uh, are they holding up instead of crushing somebody like back in the day? Um, I can honestly say I think every every era thinks it gets softer. Because, you know, when I came in, the era before me was like, man, we used to have to use, like, scotch tape. We had to do all kind of crazy stuff. We used to be out here five, six hours. Like, we, like you know, so I think every every era is going to say it's a little bit easier. And I'm, I'm not really sure how how soft it can get the size it is now. I mean, I think we're doing an incredible job of protecting guys' heads and protecting guys' bodies in any kind of way possible. Like, I'm, I'm trying to think what else can football evolve to you know, besides not being in football, you know, like we can't really change anything else. You know, like I know you got to be specific and, you know, they got quarterbacks sliding now and touch them. You got all kinds of stuff. And like, um, I don't know what's, what, 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 like really, literally, what can we do different? Like there's really nothing besides touch football right now because it's, 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 but I, I, I like, I'm starting to get used to football now. You know, it's been a while since I really watched. I started watching this year. And it seems like they're teaching guys to run out of bounds now. Like I see every time I see somebody catch and they like running and I see people run to the outside. You know, back in the day, it was just run down the middle, run down the middle, run down the middle. And then, you know, it, it was impossible to run out of bounds. We didn't play that like back in the day. Like you don't run out of bounds, you get that extra yard. So it's, it's, it's totally, it's definitely a different um, age of football. Well, thank you, John Abraham, for joining us tonight. One of the all-time sack leaders, Great football player, top five Jets defensive player. We know that from the show tonight. Honored to have you on. Thank you, man. Oh, thank y'all, man. Y'all have a good night and y'all be safe. Make sure you hit subscribe, whatever you're listening.